Sounds a little crowded. Hey everybody, welcome back to Wicked Garden Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. And tonight on the show, uh, we have an investigation that we did early in September at Fort Mifflin, uh, which is one of the most haunted locations in the U.S., let alone on the East Coast. Six members of our team went in, and we've got tons of evidence, tons of EVPs, tons of personal experiences to get to. Uh Fort Mifflin does not disappoint. But before we get to that, let's take care of some business. If you have a haunting, cryptid sighting, UFO sighting, please get in touch with us. We'd love to have you on the show. Uh, We'd love to tell your story or allow you to tell your story. And uh, two ways to get in touch with us. Number one is email, wickedgardenpodcast at gmail.com. And the other one is our hotline, which is 609-800-5130, where you can leave your details and someone will get back to you. So tonight, Fort Mifflin uh, sits down behind the Philadelphia airport, uh, has been through many, many wars, and does not disappoint when it comes to paranormal activity. So let's get to that and get to the history. Fort Mifflin sits nine miles south of Center City, Philadelphia, and remarkably, it's played a role in four major conflicts, the Revolutionary War, Civil War, World War I, World War II. As far as the Revolutionary War goes, as the British marched triumphantly into Philadelphia during the last days of September in 1777, a strategic dilemma faced General William Howe of the British Army. Surrounded by rebel forces from the north, east, and west, his troops were in desperate need of supplies, gunpowder, clothing, food, and munitions. Without these items, the capture of Philadelphia might become meaningless, and the British would be unable to pursue and destroy Washington's army before winter. South of Philadelphia, in the Delaware Bay, sat a fleet of British ships carrying the Army's much-needed supplies. General Howe gave orders to sail the fleet up the river to provide new provisions to his occupying troops. The Americans had secured a British-built fortification sitting on Mud Island just below the city and across the river from New Jersey, Fort Mercer, in 1775. By the fall of 1777, approximately 200 men were garrisoned at this fort now known as Fort Mifflin. Charged with the duty of holding the British off to the last extremity, 
so that Washington and his exhausted army could successfully move into winter quarters. It was here, on the frozen marshy ground within the walls of a stone and wood fort, the American Revolution produced a shining moment. Cold, ill, and starving, the young garrison of now 400 men at Fort Mifflin refused to give up. The valiant efforts of the men at Fort Mifflin held the mighty British Navy at bay, providing Washington and his troops time to arrive safely at Valley Forge, where they shaped a strong and confident army. This battle escalated into the greatest bombardment of the American Revolution, and one that many say changed the course of American history. For nearly six weeks in the fall of 1777, American troops in Fort Mifflin and Fort Mercer frustrated British attempts to resupply their occupying forces in Philadelphia. Early in the morning on November 10, 1777, the British took definitive action to reach Philadelphia via the Delaware. Daybreak brought a rain of cannon fire upon Fort Mifflin, beginning the largest bombardment of the Revolutionary War. Under the direction of French Major Francois de Fleury, an engineer and tireless worker, the Americans worked each night to repair the damage of the day. On November 15th, finally clear after days of rain and high tides, the British sailed the Vigilant and the Fury with 19 cannon up the back channel to the west of Fort Mifflin. In the main channel of the Delaware, three ships armed with 158 cannons anchored directly offshore of the fort, while to the east, three additional ships armed with 51 cannon completed the naval assault. Against this show of force, Fort Mifflin could respond with only 10 cannon. It was reported that during one hour, 1,000 cannonballs were fired at the fort. As the battle progressed, British Marines climbed to the crow's nest of the vigilant and threw grenades at the soldiers in the fort. Exhausted, cold, and out of ammunition, Major Simeon Thayer evacuated Fort Mifflin's garrison to Fort Mercer with muffled oars after nightfall on November 15th. Forty men remained at the fort and set fire to what was left before making their way across the Delaware to join their comrade. They crossed to New Jersey around midnight, leaving Fort Mifflin ablaze, but the flag was still flying. The role the fort played in the Civil War was a little bit different. Repairs on the aging Mud Island Fort completed in 1863, returning Fort Mifflin to active service once again. However, rather than serve as a coastal defense fort, Fort Mifflin took on a new role, military prison. A breakdown of prisoner exchanges between the Union and Confederacy in 1863 forced both sides to find places to hold thousands of prisoners. To handle the large influx, many different buildings, including tobacco plants, civilian prisons, and coastal forts, such as Fort Mifflin, Fort McHenry in Baltimore, and Governor's Island in New York were converted to hold military prisoners. During the course of the war, over 150 prisons in the USA and CSA held over 400,000 people. Fort Mifflin held three kinds of prisoners, Confederate prisoners of war, Union soldiers, and civilians. The prisoners were held in the fort's three largest casemates or bomb-proof shelter. In July 1863, Fort Mifflin began receiving Confederate prisoners of war captured during the Battle of Gettysburg, which took place on July 1st through July 3rd in 1863. At its peak, there were as many as 216 Confederate POWs held in the fort's largest casemate. Their stay at Fort Mifflin was temporary, and many were transferred to larger prisons, such as Fort Delaware, or released after taking an oath of allegiance to the United States. During the Civil War, Union soldiers could face a variety of punishments for violations of military conduct, including desertion, insubordination, and dereliction of duty. Common punishments included whippings, 
being branded with a hot iron, and being hung by one's thumb. Soldiers sentenced to prison time were often forced to perform hard labor with an iron ball and chain attached to their ankle. Union prisoners stayed in one of the large casemates. There were several attempted escapes, including an attempt at a mass uprising in December of 1863 and a failed tunnel escape in February 1864 were all unsuccessful. The most famous or infamous of Fort Mifflin's prisoners was William H. Howe, a Union private from Perkiomenville, PA, who served in the 116th Pennsylvania Volunteer Regiment. In December 1862, suffering from inflammation of the bowels, Howe left his regiment in Virginia and returned home to Pennsylvania. On June 21, 1863, three enrolling officers came to arrest him at his home. A gunfight ensued, and one of the officers, Abraham Bertillet, was fatally wounded by a gunshot through the chest. Howe was later arrested and charged with desertion and murder. A military court found him guilty, and he was sentenced to death by hanging. During his trial, he was held at Fort Mifflin in an underground cell known as Casemate 11, and he was executed at Fort Mifflin on August 26, 1864, the only prisoner known to be executed at the fort during the Civil War. This was a public execution. Uh, They charged admission to see this execution, and also his family and children were present to see him hang. Fort Mifflin may be uh, completely unique in the fact that it was a fort hospital prison uh, through so many different uh, wars and conflicts for the United States. So, you know, the gamut of human emotions that were experienced on that soil, inside that brick and mortar, inside that wood, that steel, is amazing. We started doing the evidence review the day after we got back from the investigation, and we still are finding stuff and pulling it from the audio. It's absolutely amazing. So it would only make sense that the evidence review would also be a little bit strange. And we'll have that for you coming up right after this. Hey, I'm Matt DeSanto. I'm famous. Google me. Anyway, when I'm not busy racking up prizes on Wheel of Fortune, I'm listening to Wicked Garden Podcast. So, uh, Fort Mifflin Evidence Review, we got Witness G joining us for that. Um, and we're going to go through these EVPs that we caught on the investigation just to give you guys an idea of what went on. There was uh, six of us at the investigation. It was a six-hour investigation. Um, and we split up into three teams. Uh, I was myself and Tracy. The Capers had come along, Cape Atlantic Paranormal Research Society. Uh, and it was Mike Morrison from there and his friend Linda. I don't know Linda's last name, but she was really quite helpful. She also set up some camera equipment, too, which was cool. Um, and Marie, our resident psychic, and her sister, Michelle. So that was the uh, three teams, and we split up. And what we would do is there's about six or seven sites to take a look at there, and we would just rotate. Um, before we get into that, there are a couple videos. Um, there's a video 
that has a weird anomaly on it that none of us can figure out what it is. I will link to that in the show notes so everybody can take a look at it. Uh, there's also a, f- a photo of a soldier in a window um, that you guys will be able to see too. I'll have that up there. And then there's a video that um, I'm actually going to have Marie on to talk about that is a video, but it's mostly audio stuff that's included in that video. That's absolutely amazing. And when I tell you we did this in September and I just keep reviewing the tapes and I just keep finding more stuff. And so, you know, so did uh, Mike Morrison and Capers. They can find his stuff too. So it's really hard to narrow this down to these 16, but I think we got them. And I, I think uh, these are about the best. So here's the first one. Um, and this is when Mike Morrison brings in the pizza. Uh, he had bought us three pizzas and, and here's what that sounded like. You'll hear, um, the ghost commenting on the quality of the pizza. (laughs) So as he brings the pizzas in the door and goes by, uh, the recorder, the recorder picks up this thing going, Hmm, as they go by. So that that was just pretty amazing. Um, Oh, man. Yeah, and there was nobody near it. It was like it, we had that down at the other end of the room. There's nobody around it when it does that. No other way it could have been gotten picked up. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, so that's our first one. And this next one uh, was when we went on the tour. So what happens is when you get there, they take you on a tour of all the hot spots so you know where to set up your equipment. So we're actually heading to do the tour and – my wife catches a disembodied whisper. So it's Tracy and I in one part of the room, but there were actually three voices on this. And, you know, I forgot to say this at the outset, but I'm going to tell everybody if, if you want to hear these, the best way to do it is just skip forward, uh, you know, hear the rest of the show and then go back when you have some headphones and take a listen to these because they, you know, you're going to need headphones to hear some of them. Uh, on this one, you'll hear a whisper, which catches her ear. Um, and I'll actually play this twice. So you'll hear a whisper that catches your ear. And then as the tape goes along, you'll hear a voice that says, I'm a person. That's not anybody in the room. And <laughs> there's also another whisper underneath that. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to actually put all this stuff up on SoundCloud under Wicked Garden Podcast, which was G's idea. It was a brilliant idea. Thank you, buddy. So we're yeah, no we're gonna put that stuff up there too. So here's tra- what I call Tracy's capture. Someone got a K two meter in here and a night vision camera. This was uh, ten years ago, and they posted a video online. Uh, you actually can see a shadow moving along the wall. Yeah, yeah. yeah we saw that one. Um, um, I'm looking for a whisper. Yeah, I didn't get anything it was like under all of them. What happened here? What? That's why. All right. There's a lot of despair. So that's her catching that whisper, and I'll play it one more time for everybody. Someone got a K2 meter in here and a night vision camera. This was uh, ten years ago, and they posted a video online. You actually can see a shadow moving along the wall. Yeah. <laughs> so 
there are three different voices on that one. And that was on a tour and that was in a casemate that was known for having someone that uh, responded to females. And she said it sounded like it was right behind her. And luckily I had already set up a recorder there so you can actually hear. Now you caught that one, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, you might have to edit this part out, man. But, uh, it's so f- crazy. I can't hear. I know the CVP cause I've listened to it a few times. Uh-huh. Uh, so I can't hear anything except the f-ing EVP parts. <laughs> I swear to God, dude, I, cause when I listened to that clip, that's when you guys are talking about like setting up the equipment. Yeah. You got the guy talking about the K2 and the f-ing, uh, yeah. night vision. Yeah. Dude, I can't hear any of that shit. Is that, was that in the clip you just played? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I swear. I only heard of that whisper. I like, I heard that twice, and then when you played the pizza clip, I heard the mmm three times and nothing else. Really? Man, that's yeah, crazy. So I, I don't know what the right now. Yeah, now that's but, uh, that's odd. That's the only shit coming through on my end. Yeah, that's odd, you know? And What the f***, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of weird, um, to say yeah, the least. Right, yeah, let's definitely keep rolling with it then. <laughs> All right. So this next one comes from the blacksmith shop. And uh, I asked the guy, you know, what was his most uh, fun thing to actually manufacture in a black blacksmith shop, and we get an answer. I'll play this one three times. Did you make a lot of horseshoes here? Did you make a lot of horseshoes here? Did you make a lot of horseshoes here? So he uh, basically tells us that the most exciting thing he made was his whips. <laughs> so did you catch uh, anything on that one? No, not on that one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I definitely did, you know, when I listened to it on SoundCloud, but uh, nothing yeah. came out of my radio. Yeah. On, well, on they, must have, they must have, they must have caught on to you now. <laughs> <laughs> you let them know. Man, I shouldn't have said nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that was in the blacksmith shop, which was a pretty pretty crazy place so this next one is actually a disembodied um dog bark that at the time when we caught it i didn't know what it was i couldn't you know i knew something had happened um but i didn't know what it was now the story with this is this is at the commandant's house and at the commandant's house um you heard matt in the interview talk about his personal experience with having a dog run into him uh, he actually felt a dog run into him one night and there was no dog there. Like he felt the brush across his legs and kind of hit into him. And the story from the commandant's house, there's a lot of different stories. They hear the kids playing and that kind of stuff, but they had a dog there. Uh, you wouldn't think they wouldn't afford, but they did. And I actually catch the dog barking. So here's that one. Did you have any brothers and sisters? Tracy walking up right before that, uh, listen to that. There was a voice. Yeah. So on that one, I'm just going to let it go at the one, but basically what happens is you hear a dog 
kind of bark off in the distance. Now, to set this up physically, Fort Mifflin has got the airport to one side of it. All night long, planes fly over. You know, you're in the flight path. And there are some businesses back there because it's an industrial park. But there really is no place for a dog to be. Uh, Now, stray dogs can, of course, go anywhere. uh, But there really wasn't a dog, like, sitting in the yard next door to the fort or anything like that. Um, the other part that's off to the side of it is the Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, they have their boats stored there, uh, and there is no no dog on that uh, lot. And that just backs up a historical story about a dog, you know, showing up and and making some noise and actually running into some people. So that's that's that one. Uh, and then this next one, um, I'm talking about this little toy that I left there for the kids. It's a little stuffed uh, horse. It's actually a dog toy, my dog's toy. Um, and this is me talking about it, and I get a response that actually sounds like an adult. So I, I will play this one three times. So you like the horse, huh? All right, well, we're going to let you play with it. So you like the horse, huh? All right, well, we're going to let you play with it. So you like the horse, huh? All right, well, we're going to let you play with it. So I tell him I'm going to leave the horse, and he says, that's fun. Pretty crazy stuff, man. And, and like, this was all night. And, you know, and like I said, these two tapes, if you go over them, and what I'll do, too, is I, I'm going to post them in the Patreon uh, page so anybody can go back in and examine this audio for themselves, too. Uh, I'll have both the bulk up there. Anybody that's a Patreon, uh, you know, that pays a dollar a month or gets in uh, and wants to listen to them will be able to listen to them. But it's just it's layer after layer of stuff, and it's just an amazing place. So this next one, uh, I asked them what, same place, Commandant's house, and I asked them what their mother's name was, and we get a response. I'll play that three times. What was your mom's name? What was your mom's name? What was your mom's name? So there it is, pretty clear that the mother's name is Connie. And yeah, that came through. That came through loud and clear. Man. Oh, did you get that one? Dude, cool. Just, just the yeah, Connie. Just, just explain to everybody what's going on. For some reason, with the uh, with the the roadcaster, when G is on and I'm playing computer, you know, stuff out of the computer, he has a really hard time hearing it. But tonight, he's hearing the EVPs and not everything else about it. So it's yeah. It's for some crazy. reason, uh, we we already talked about this after a few clips. That's going to be edited out, but uh, yeah. After the first few clips, uh, I'm familiar with the EVPs because I've reviewed them already. But what I'm hearing is only the only the EVP parts coming out of my speakers. So that's so strange. <laughs> it really is. It makes you think. You know, it makes you think. Is there something scientific to it? Some kind of wavelength or? Something, but who knows, man? It could definitely be something additionally yeah, supernatural. So far, it hasn't been. It hasn't been every single one, but it was definitely the uh, 
the dog bark for sure. The pizza, the mm, the whisper when you guys are setting up equipment. So far, all that stuff's coming out. But I, I'm familiar enough with the clips to to know that there's a lot of other sounds and people talking. And I'm not hearing any of that. All yeah. that I'm getting. And you know what? I don't think all I'm, that I'm getting is the EVP. Yeah. And I don't think I'm going to edit anything. Actually. I think I'm going to let this one roll because <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> all and, right. Well then, uh, excuse my language from earlier. <laughs> no, don't worry about it. But that was pretty bizarre. Yeah, it is. It's just a little bit odd. Um, so in next, you know, we didn't talk a lot about personal experiences. I'm going to have everybody who was there on this show to talk about theirs. But this was a personal experience that I had with an apparition that I actually saw in one of the casemates that was the Confederate prison. Um, so, you know, once again, this fort went through, you know, two different wars and met, well, actually many different wars. Uh, so there's been people in and out of there. But at one time, it was, you know, they had a Confederate area prison. And when we were in the casemate, you know, we're sitting in there and I saw something on one of the beds. So I'll play that just the one time. Do you have a light on? I just turned my light on. Okay, did you point it to the left? Yes. Okay. Towards the ceiling. To the left. Sorry, I was playing with my light. Did they feed you? No, 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 no. I just saw somebody sitting up right over here, literally. I saw shoulders, I saw a head, I saw a neck, I saw a white shirt, it was unbuttoned down to the middle of their chest. So I think I just saw you. You, you, are you the guy that likes the girls, the blondes? It was really clear. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't completely solid, but you know, I don't usually we'll see lights on occasion and you know, you'll, you'll hear, you'll see dark shadows when you do, but to see an actual apparition where you can actually make out the shirt it's wearing, you know, that the shirt is unbuttoned. That's, that's pretty rare in ghost hunting. Once again, Fort Mifflin, you know, it's just an amazing place. So this next one is also in the casemates. Uh, this one's actually in casemate five. And this one appears or seems to be someone saying against the wall and then snickering when I talk about how many shadows are in there. So I'll play this one for you twice. This place is fucking loaded with shadows. Yep. This place is fucking loaded with shadows. Yep. So I say this place is loaded with shadows and something Snickers. Um, pretty Dude. crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these are intelligent responses, you know? That's that's what really freaks you out about it. It's like, what are you not seeing, you know, that's walking all around you? It, it, Fort Mifflin is just an amazing place. I can't stress enough how if you're anywhere in this area, you know, even if you're not, you know, get out to Fort Mifflin if you're, if you're looking to go on someplace. If, like, you have a, a bucket list place, or, or on your bucket list is going ghost hunting, do it at Fort Mifflin. <laughs> because it would be, you'd be real hard pressed not to recover some evidence, even with just, you, you know, you don't need a camera, uh, even just some, some audio stuff. And speaking of cameras, this is the same case, mate. And in this clip, you'll hear a woman talk about the fact that we have a camera with us. So 
I'll play that one for you three three times. That's amazing. It's almost like she's warning something else in there. Hey, they got a camera. You know? It's it's really Dude, I wish you could hear what I'm hearing. Because <laughs> it is still getting crazy. Yeah. yeah. Now, now one yeah. now one thing I did do on these at where wherever there's a response, I did increase the volume in that area by about twenty percent. But Okay, maybe that has something to do with it, it then. It may, but it still shouldn't be doing what it's doing for you. You, you still shouldn't be just hearing that. You know, it's only a twenty percent increase. That's that's really odd. And I have it blaring on my end. That's really weird, dude. Really weird. Yeah. <laughs> so this next, I, I tell you, after the first couple of clips, dude, I had goosebumps. <laughs> like my hair is standing up on my neck. I was like, oh my god, yeah. I know what this is supposed to sound like, but I'm only getting like I'm only getting the responses. Yeah. Now, once again, you guys can go over to uh, we're putting these up on SoundCloud so everybody can can take a listen to them. And when you hear them on SoundCloud with some headphones, you'll hear where I turn the volume up a little bit. Um, but basically, you know, you'll be able to tell that, you know, it's, it, it's, she should be able to hear the whole thing, not just, the, not just the EVPs. So in this one, I'm talking and some woman, it sounds like a female voice again. You know, I don't know how many females were hanging around the fort, but this one says I'm talking like as if to correct me. So I'll play this one three times. Did it get cold here in the winter? Did it get cold here in the winter? Did it get cold here in the winter? So there it is, a little, excuse me, I'm talking, you know, just an I'm talking, like as if to correct me, like I'm interrupting her, you know? And at that point, that casemate, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And that casemate was just me and Tracy. So that was uh, I'm talking. And then this next one, now we're going to go, before I play the last two, which are absolutely insane, um, I'm going to play, <laughs> I'm going to play the ones that, that, Capers pulled Cape Atlantic Paranormal Research Society. So in this first one, anybody from Jersey will be familiar with uh, what they're talking about. They're talking about going out and, and doing some other hunts. Um, and one of them at Weymouth Furnace. And you'll hear a whisper through their entire conversation. And it's just Mike and Linda in the room. Everybody else is really, really far away. And I'll play this one three times for you guys. There's Weymouth Furnace. No, it's not there. What else called now? There's Weymouth Furnace. No, it's not there. What else called now? There's Weymouth Furnace. No, it's not there. I cannot he- figure out what that one is saying, um, but as they're talking, they're almost chiming in with the conversation. <laughs> so, pretty, pretty crazy stuff, right? And then uh, here, this was interesting. This was... A, they, what they did was Mike and Linda, they had a, a, you know, a EMF reader or EMF detector. And it was one of the ones that you see on all the ghost shows, you know, it has like the green in it and it goes over to red, the little lights. And when it pegs out, 
like you'll see on the ghost shows, you, you get like a little bit of like a electronic sound. Um, so what they decided to do was, and this is brilliant by Mike, he went out and uh, downloaded, you know, like Dixie and played it. And this is about a minute long and you can hear the meter pegging out as they play Dixie. And once again, this is in the Confederate prison. Uh, and you'll hear the meter pegging out and you hear those guys egging on the ghost as uh, the song comes along. Mind your home. Yeah, that's it. Grab it tight. So the entire time they were doing that, prior to that, they they got nothing. Baseline was nothing. Uh, he goes out, downloads Dixie, comes back in, starts playing it, and this thing's pegging out left and right. No kidding. Yeah, pretty crazy stuff. And there's a video involved with that. I'll try to get that up and attached to the episode two as well so you guys can take a look at it. So um, this is about the clearest one. Um, and this was in... Once again, that group of casemates, and there is a casemate uh, number five, and I think this one is pretty self-explanatory, and I'll play it three times. That is basically just a, a voice that nobody could hear uh, saying, put him in five, put him in five. So pretty crazy stuff. That's, that's the loudest one. Um, and then one last personal experience from Tracy and I, uh, one of the stories that, uh, Fort Mifflin, they, the guys, the historical guys tell you when you go in is, uh, when it comes to the, the ghostly aspects of Fort Mifflin, there's a lot of great history, but when they talk about the ghostly aspect of it, there was a woman, um, who lived in the officer's quarters, uh, and her daughter ran away to be with an enlisted man and got killed. And when she found out, she hung herself from the balcony. She literally put a rope around her neck, took a running leap and jumped off the second story and hung herself there. And there's, you know, a story that when she found out about her daughter dying, she screamed and was screaming. And late at night when they're at the fort and they're closing up, imagine this. <laughs> Cause it's in the middle of nowhere, man, you know, and it's down near the river. You know, it's, it's always misty, all that good stuff that they hear these disembodied screams. And this is a disembodied voice. This is not an EVP. So the first, oh, so you actually heard this. Yeah. So the first one I'll play. No yeah. And I'm going to play two. The first one I'm, I'm going to play. And this is interesting. The, my black recorder where Tracy heard the whisper stayed in the same case made all night long. And this first one, there's nobody around, and this is the first scream of the night, which is a little bit earlier on, about an hour before. But this is what the first scream sounds like, and this is just on a recorder. Nobody heard this one. Um, we have no idea whether this is an EVP or a disembodied, but this is the first one, and it happened an hour before that, and a recorder caught it. I'll play it three times. That sounds like the most anguished scream ever. Um, and once again, like I said, there's no neighbors. 
uh, late at night. You know, this is approximately 10 o'clock at night. There's nobody around down there. Um, you know, there's nothing to do behind the airport. <laughs> you know, it's and it's not it's not the Army Corps of Engineers, you know, out there torturing somebody. So, you know, it's it's pretty just a, an amazing piece of audio. And this is the final one. Uh, and this is pretty self-explanatory. This is my wife and I uh, towards the end of the night in uh, Casemate 5. This is self-explanatory. I'll play it for you guys twice. Sounds a little crowded. Sounds a little crowded. Yeah, it, that was a great capture because we were told, you know, the scream goes on and, you know, I, I couldn't find anybody else who had actually ever recorded it. So we were pretty proud of that one. That, that one was cool. And, and that was towards the end of the night. And once again, goes with all the historical stories that they were talking about. So just the amount of evidence from this place, man, I, I just, I'm blown away by it. And we've played 10% of what we found. Like, you know, I, I delayed weeks and weeks and weeks to do this episode because I was just trying to narrow it down to the best ones. But every single time we yeah, went yeah. back in, every time we went back in, we heard something new. It was crazy. And, and you know, like you were saying earlier, I decided not to play Take Your Plates. Um, but in the mess hall, <laughs> you know, there's there was a recorder in the mess hall. And you can hear somebody say, may I take your plates? Yeah, it's pretty clear. That one's pretty clear. Yeah. And I It'll just, be up on SoundCloud. Yeah, that one's on SoundCloud too. So, you know, it 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 almost has me wondering, Jay, like, you know, are we hearing ghosts or, you know, is every piece of, you know, every conversation reverberating forever? <laughs> you know, it, it, it makes you really wonder. It really does. Yeah. I mean, especially like the screams, like if there's like uh, some sort of, correlation between like whatever was said out loud and you know we're screamed and some sort of you know emotional correlation at the same time right and maybe like that's what saves it in to history to like plays it on repeat but uh that would explain like those screams and all but you know it's, it's just like a haunting you have like intelligent hauntings where like this stuff seems to literally be interacting with you guys real time and not yeah. just like a uh, residual haunting. Yeah, you know, there's, I, I, I can see like being like residual EVPs and like intelligent EVPs. Yeah. And there's a mix of both in with this evidence. There's intelligent and yeah, there's totally, residual. Totally. Yeah. And when the video, I'm, I'm going to actually talk with Marie and have her comment on her video. Basically it's an iPhone video that her sister took and you know, they, these girls have Philly accents, you know, just like I do. So it's very odd, very obvious who's talking during it. And it was just the two of them. And there are three or four people in the room, you know. So, you know, who are the other two people? And, you know, we're going to have that, have her actually comment on that video and do it. But I'm just, I'm just blown away by this place. I can't stress enough that if that's something on your bucket list, that's the place to go. You know, if you don't want to be disappointed. There's been a few places 
Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum that I went to, and, you know, we caught a lot of good stuff there, but nothing like Ford Mifflin. Nothing like it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, it's funny, too, like that, Uh, I think probably my favorite one uh, is that Put Him in Five one. Yeah. And I don't know, but I imagine, like, you know, when that was in operational Fort, I just assume everybody's speaking, like, with a colonial British accent, you know? Right. And that sounded like, that sounded like a normal guy to me. Yeah. So there's no telling, like, you know, if, if there's something his, more historical that haunted it, you know? Like, I don't know, maybe people were hanging out there in the 60s, like, they were homeless. I have no idea. Yeah. That's complete speculation on my part, you know? But uh, it, that was uh, that one was so clear. Yeah. There's one, I'm, uh, there's one you know? that I'll post. Exactly what you're saying. There's one, one I'll post that's, um, I have it as the Shave Razor song. That's yeah. I I heard that one. That is the only one that has a British accent. Like you literally can hear that it has a British accent as a place. It's very hard to hear. You're going to need headphones, and you're going to need to you know grab that audio and play around with it yourself. Um, you know to kind of bring it out, but it's plainly there. It's somebody just sort of kind of singing as. And talking about shaving, I don't know what song they're singing, but I'm sure it's a historical song. And it just kind of goes along, and you can hear the accent. Pretty crazy yeah, that style. would be crazy if, like, uh, one of the listeners could identify it or something, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, maybe it's a sea shanty or something. Yeah, and we're we, we're going to collect. <laughs> who knows, man? Yeah, who knows? We're going to collect everything and send it to uh, to Mifflin so they can take a listen, you know, and and see what we pulled because they were real anxious to see what we had and um, maybe change, you know, put some stuff out there on our website to draw more people in. You know, the pandemic's hit everybody hard and historical landmarks like Fort Mifflin, you know, which. You know, it's right near the river. It's a lot of upkeep, um, but it's a place that's worth keeping open. Uh, you know, they really need the business. So if there's uh, any way, anybody could even just, they, they have other ghost hunts. They have public ones during the course of the year where you can go in and kind of, you know, move around. And it's not a whole hell of a lot of money. You're talking like 20 bucks, you know, or whatever. But, you know, keep your eyes out. And if you can visit, please do. If you, if you want to just, donate to those guys we'll put a link in the show notes too but it's a fantastic place obviously it would be a huge shame to the paranormal community if something happened to it and it was closed um so hopefully it can stay open it's good stuff good stuff it is good stuff and included in that good stuff was our host that night uh matt who was fantastic uh from finding us a place to get pizza uh to firing the cannon for us at the end of the night so we wanted to talk to Matt about what it's like to work at the fort, what it's like to close that thing up at night all by yourself. And Matt was kind enough to come on the show for a brief interview. Okay. Joining us on the line is our guide from uh, Fort Mifflin's Matt Muto. Matt, really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with us today and welcome to Wicked Garden Podcast. Thank you. My pleasure. Yeah. Dude, we had a great time. It was fantastic. You did a great job. Team members can't uh, stop talking about it. It was, it, you know, just a cl- classy, classy uh, operation you guys run over there. I would urge anybody out there who's looking to do an investigation to get over to Fort Mifflin. 
it seems like most of the evidence we're pulling right now is coming from Casemate 5. And there's a lot of stuff. So could wow. you take us through the history of Casemate 5? Yes. Uh, Casemate 5 was originally built as a bomb proof. The interior walls of the fort during Reconstruction uh, and it was finished by 1798. So th- those brick walls are, uh, are are finished in 1798, and the bomb proofs were President John Adams' idea of having the soldiers uh, hide out and uh, train um, and spend some time in in case there was an attack it, uh, from England or possibly France during the 1790s. Because uh, President Adams had some fear about uh, not just England, but France being upset with uh, uh, the United States at the time. Um, and also the fort was rebuilt during that time as part of a uh, rebuilding of uh, American fortifications on the East Coast. Right. So Fort Mifflin was one of the first. And so it's uh, structurally 1798. Uh, the soldiers would would probably sleep in there, train in there during the War of 1812. We know that they used it also possibly uh, during the War of 1812, a little over 200 years ago. They may have used them as a temporary prison cell, and for the most part, it was used for storage. And then in the 1863, those bomb proofs were turned into dungeons, official prison cells. And for about two and a half years, I would say 1863 to 1865, uh, the whole entire fort was a prisoner of war camp okay yeah and we should probably lay it out for the listeners like when you go into casemate five you go down a hallway and the first thing you see is a big large room and then you when you come back out of there you go down another hallway and there are three smaller rooms that i guess were probably used for solitary yes yes so yeah yeah, the casemate five there being uh all the way in the back the soldiers who were kept in there were the more uh, those who committed more severe crimes, and they were they were all uh, Union soldiers who disobeyed uh, for desertion. Some of them were charged for murder and theft, and those were considered the more uh, the worst of the worst offenders. Right, and then you go to another room which mirrors the first one that you go in. So there's like five basic what you would call cells there with two large ones and three smaller ones. Exactly. And conditions were absolutely horrible for all the soldiers, Um, not just the Confederate prisoners, but the Union prisoners uh, were uh, just conditions were really bad. And some of these men were already wounded from battles and they were just suffering. And some of them died uh, there. Yeah, we're not talking big rooms. I mean, you know, I, I would say. We're talking like 20 by maybe 60 to 70 on the two bigger rooms, and the smaller ones are maybe 10 foot wide by whatever other dimension, maybe like 30 feet. They're not they're not big places, right? And they were jamming these people in there. Exactly. Packing them in like sardines. As, as the uh, time went on, uh, closer to the end of the war, just shoved more and more in there. Wow. Yeah. Right on top of each other. I think in one room you had told me at one time there was maybe, I think it you might have said there was about 200 guys on top of each other. Yeah, that would be the Confederates' prison yeah. cell. Yeah, that's amazing. There's barely any room to sit down amongst each other there for 200 men. There's a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. So it makes sense that we're getting a lot of uh, a lot of our evidence out of there. Now, you yourself, how long have you been at the fort? I've been at the fort for six years now. Okay. And how did you come about working at the fort? Yeah, I... Uh, I, I- for a company um, where I, we did historical tours oh, okay. and 
some other programming um, and some reenacting. And uh, Mary Reynolds, who has been uh, with the fort for some years, she's also the fort seamstress, a really, really great woman. She uh, had told me about Fort Mifflin and thought that I would, I would like working there. So um, that's great. Time. Yeah, yeah and, it's great and place. Matt has a um, an outfit that he puts on when you go and you get Matt as a guide and ask for Matt, by the way. Uh, and he has a, uh, a, a outfit that he puts on that's amazing. And I guess she put that together for you, right? Yes, indeed. Yeah, I'm going to put up a picture on the website and uh, also the social media of Matt in his outfit. It's something to see. <laughs> and actually, you were telling me a story about one time you went uh, behind the uh, the the quarters there. <laughs> Uh, general quarters and somebody actually saw you in that and thought you were a ghost, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty convincing outfit, man. So what uh, I, yeah, yeah, what I wanted to get to was a um, couple of your personal experiences. If you could, if you could relate them. Sure. Well, I started in uh, April of 2014. So it's over a little over six years ago now. And um, I was hired to do some overnight programming uh, with folks who stay overnight, scouts, reenactors, paranormal researchers. When I got hired, my, my boss, Beth Beatty, told me people have a lot of occurrences. And I, uh, I was a little skeptical, but I was interested and inclined. And so... Hey, let uh, me ask you a quick question. Were you a believer yeah. before you came to the fort? Uh, to a certain degree, but I never experienced anything physical. Okay until three years ago. So I was, I was already halfway through my tenure of being at the fort. Uh, and you know, sometimes I'd get these feelings within the first couple of years, I would get a feeling in the morning after doing it overnight. Um, and I would wake up and just feel not well. I would almost feel like something kind of was following me around the fort, okay. which is a common, yeah, that's a common, um, that's a common allegation. And a lot of people say that they get that sensation, especially inside the fortification in, in the summer of 2017, we did have a wedding at the fort. Uh, and, I uh, was the host, and the wedding went just close to midnight. I was certainly there a little bit past midnight. I locked all the doors. The gate to enter the fort was padlocked shut, and everybody left. The last three people to leave were the bridegroom and the bride's mother. And I looked around, and I started locking the doors, and I'm, I still had half of my uniform on. 18th century garb. As I'm making my way from the soldiers' barracks, of 1798 over to the Sally port, which is the entrance. I, I, all of a sudden I just get this feeling of something running into me below my knee into my legs. And it felt like a push and it felt like either first thing I thought was a child or an animal. I immediately turned around and my heart just kind of stopped beating. Literally that that's what it felt like. My heart stopped and I just could feel physical, sensation and pressure as if something just went into me or, or pushed me either playfully or tell me to get out. And uh, it, 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 re- it really spooked me. Uh, and I started moving real fast to the office building <laughs> so I could get the heck out of there. <laughs> and that's amazing, right? Your first experience and it's a physical uh, experience. Wow. Yeah. And we did some research, uh, Mary Reynolds, who had, who had uh, recommended me, my good friend, she said, oh, Colonel Webster's children had free reign of the fort in 1849 and 1850, even before the Civil War. The children of the commandants 
they were allowed to run around and play pretty much anywhere they chose. Wow. So, and, and I think they also too had a dog, right? Yes, they did. Yeah. They certainly did. And there is a, a letter that Colonel Webster's uh, wife wrote about the children playing, the two daughters, and playing with their dog, and the dog is on a leather leash. So it was uh, really something. Uh, that, that experience really opened up my mind. Wow. And um, yeah, also heard some voices in Casemate 2. Casemate 2 is the big bomb-proof to the left when you go inside uh, the walls, uh, inside the casemates. Um, and casemate two is where all the Confederate soldier prisoners were kept. They had, they had the short end of the stick. You could say uh, they had no, no horse hay or beds to sleep on. I believe they all slept on the floor and they never washed their clothes and, and the water, the moat was, was uh, contaminated. And again, conditions were bad, especially for the Confederate soldier prisoners and many people have heard voices in there and i actually got the um, honor of being of being part of a session in there just a couple years ago uh, it may have been 2016 but uh, we had a group come from ohio and inside there after many evps and strange physical happenings one woman had a scratch on her neck from the top of her neck down to her uh, below her shoulder blades, which she couldn't do herself with her arm. Uh, and then they said, come back, Matt. We want to show you what, what we got. We want you to listen to this. And you could clearly hear voices responding to a call to questions of uh, who is in here. Can you uh, what did you do to become a prisoner? And then they asked uh, if they knew who Abraham Lincoln was, and you and it sounds like a voice saying yes. And when they also asked several times, what to the spirit, what did you do to belong in here to become a prisoner? The response that we heard on the EVP uh, loud and clear was, "You don't care." I, I just found that really interesting, and that was another night where the hairs were raising on my arms. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally, yeah. Have you gotten more used to being there late at night, or does it still get you every time? <laughs> it's just sometimes I get that feeling. It, it might not be a physical sensation. It's sometimes a little bit of an emotional sensation, and we get people saying that quite a bit, especially when they go in and out of the casemates and they just this feeling of despair. Yeah, yeah, Marie, uh, one of our our team members, got that same feeling. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate you coming on today. I really do. And you have, um, you're a musician as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Guitarist, uh, blues guitarist. And um, I'm in the middle of writing some songs now. I'm working on my own album now. And um, it should be out just about, uh, just a little bit before Christmas time. Oh, nice. If not, yeah, ho hopefully the end of this year. But if not, the very beginning of 2021. Well, listen, when you get it, um, stay in touch and we'll definitely, uh, you know, send a link out to the listeners and, uh, you know, we'll put it in the show notes. Thank you so much. That's awesome. And the final piece of evidence we have for you tonight is what we like to call Marie's video. There were uh, three teams, myself, my wife, uh, Mike and Linda, and Marie and Michelle. And Marie is uh, Marie Busha Terrell. She is our sensitive in the group. And a lot of stuff follows her around, uh, as you'll see from the video. Uh, so just to set it up, it's her. It's an iPhone video. Her sister is recording it as she walks around in the casemates, uh, specifically casemate five. 
uh, where all this activity is. And uh, there are two women there. Everybody else is in a different part of the facility. And you can clearly hear Michelle's voice. Pretty easy to hear uh, Michelle when she talks and Marie when she talks. And you'll hear a couple additional voices. And that's not Marie or Michelle. So here's Marie's video. Here are the AVPs I've heard on this audio so far. At 18 seconds, you'll hear Marie. Uh, at 22 seconds, you'll hear the, a few, like an exhale. Those are both female voices, and they're not the girls that are there. At 51 seconds, you'll hear Mady uh, in a female voice, kind of broken up. At 125, there's an unknown voice, can't make out what it says. At 205, it says, tuck in the middle. At 213, it says, Melinda, it's cold. At 249, you'll hear a female voice say, fuzzy. <laughs> In like a French accent. At 4.15, you'll hear put it in eyes in a male voice. At 5.14, there's an audible knuckle crack, but it's obvious that Michelle is still holding the phone, so it's hard to crack your knuckles. And then also Marie is just walking freely and not cracking your knuckles. So that's what I've heard so far in this video. Uh, the audio from this video, pretty amazing. This is the place. Lining, they were lining, they were lining, oh, like openings for anyone that was trying to come in? No, but they, they would see, and then that's where they would shoot on the one wall, but in here,
was the only place where a fire was over there. So if someone is walking, pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth, Colonel, someone of importance. the fireplace as a fireplace but also to burn things so I don't know if it was documents if it was material That's our investigation of Fort Mifflin. I'd like to thank the team members, uh, my wife, Tracy, uh, Marie, Michelle, Mike, Linda, Joan. Uh, you guys do a fantastic job. There's nobody else I would rather hang out in a dark, creepy place with. And uh, there's a few different ways to support the show. Uh, the easiest and cheapest way, of course, is to rate and review it on your podcast app. Give us a five-star rating and a short review. And it goes a long way to helping out the show. The other way is to sign up for Patreon and become a patron. Uh, for a dollar a month, you can become a patron of the show. A dollar you will never miss. Uh, it's one-third of a coffee nowadays. Uh, so, But it means the world to us. And we really could use your help. These uh, investigations cost money. And uh, the show will always be free, but it's not free for us to make. Uh, you really could help us out with a dollar a month. Uh, to become a patron and think of all the extra stuff you're going to get. I'd like to thank you guys for listening and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks.